Let's go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is where we are tonight. Last week, or last time, we talked about this in the life of David. We talked about how he confessed to God after Nathan confronted him, and he cried out to the Lord, and he confessed, and he repented in truth. Now we'll see tonight how God responded to him. Psalm 32. And we'll read, I'm going to read not the whole thing, I'm going to read piece by piece, and we'll comment as we go along. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now we know from Scripture the means that God uses to forgive transgressions. And we know that it is his power and it is the attributes of God that make it possible for him to forgive us. But one thing we will never be able to, be able to understand is why he is willing to do so. Why God is willing to forgive. Because you and I, when we forgive, sometimes it's because we're commanded to forgive and we know we should forgive. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Uh, sometimes we forgive because it's in our best interest to forgive. But how often do we forgive someone because we have a desire to forgive them? You realize, of course, that you can't make God willing. You can't make God forgive. But God does forgive because God wants to forgive. That's the miracle. And here David is saying, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. The Lord, the Holy One, who is pure and clean and righteous, takes pleasure in putting away the sins of those who repent. If you're wondering, can God forgive you? Yes, of course He can forgive you. Not only can He forgive, He wants to forgive. He is, he is excited, if you use that word, to forgive. He enjoys forgiving. You see, as humans, I have a really difficult time forgetting what you've done. And I can choose to forgive you mentally, intellectually, while my feelings don't really catch up right away. But the Lord has the power to say, I forgive you, and we know that he has the means to do so, and when he does, he is not doing so begrudgingly. How could you make God forgive you? You can't. God wants to forgive you. And he's longing to forgive those who repent. And so Dave said, Dave, Dave I call him Dave. <laughs> Brother Dave. Davey, sometimes I call him. He's saying, I am blessed because I've been forgiven. And notice, it's the present tense. Uh, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. God is not saying David hasn't done anything wrong. He is, he is saying, yes, he has, but I have forgiven him. So God not only forgives the sin, but he allows this transgressor, David, to have blessed days. Blessed. Feeling blessed. You see that a lot today. What does that mean? The sins that he committed that we saw way back in 2 Samuel 11 are covered. We know that doctrinally his sins could only be covered until the payment was made on the cross. 
But today, our, our blessing of forgiveness is even greater because we have the blood of Jesus Christ that has completely satisfied the righteous requirement of God. And so it's not just God saying, I'm going to cover it up so I don't see it anymore. It's not even there. You, you could take, take away the covering. There's nothing there. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The stain that was there has been removed. It is gone. So can you live a life of blessing after committing great sin? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can be aware uh, on a day after the worst sins you've ever committed. You could be aware all out of the blue of how blessed you are. Not just, man, I'll never get back up, up to that peak again. You know, I, it, interpersonally with others, maybe that would be a challenge. As far as God's concerned, he is smiling at you. If, if I could be so bold as to say this, God could look down at you have, have, after you have repented of your sin and sought his forgiveness. He can look at you and he's saying this. You're good to go. Can, can you imagine God giving you thumbs up after doing some of the things that you and I have done? But that's how great our God is. He can love you and he can forgive you. God could have demanded death. He could have demanded that for time and for eternity, David is done. All the things that I blessed him with, all the things I gave him and, and prospered him and protected him and, and privileged him with the throne, I took him out of the sheepfolds. I brought him out of obscurity. I preserved his life throughout. I gave him his master's kingdom. I gave him everything. And then look what he did. And yet God was able after that to say, I forgive. And David said, I feel blessed. Today I feel blessed. He said in verse 2, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. There's no denying that he committed sin, that, that iniquity was rampant in David's life. But he said, blessed is the man. So what we're talking about here is imputation. It's true that David committed this iniquity, but what is not known up to this point is whether or not the Lord will charge him with that crime. He certainly was guilty of it. What is imputation? It's a legal term. It means the formal filing of the charge. Placing the guilt on the record. This was done. You have been arraigned and you have been charged, tried, and found guilty. And here, the evidence is overwhelming. There's no question of whether he did it. But because of David's repentance, the Lord could say, I'm going to drop the charges. That's one of the most amazing things to me in our judicial system, is that a person can be found innocent of a crime. And I'm not a lawyer. I don't know all the ins and outs. But I understand enough to know that a person can be found innocent of a crime against a particular individual if that particular individual chooses not to file a charge, to drop the charges. Now, you might say they're as guilty as they could possibly be. I know they did it. I don't care what that person said. It doesn't matter. You're not the one that makes the call. 
The person against whom the crime was committed gets to make the call. Now, how many of you remember um, Brother, uh, Brother John Havman? I love the story about Brother John Havman, uh, Lucy's grandfather. And he tells a story about how he was a hippie and how he was basically living his own life, doing his own thing and causing other people to go down the wrong path. And it's a phenomenal story of how God, how God uh, saved him. But, but the crux, the catalyst for his repentance, his moment of, of, of turning from his sin, was that he had stolen a tractor. Now, forgive me if I get this, the story wrong. But he had stolen a tractor, hot-wired it, something like that, and taken it from uh, a farmer. He had taken something, and I believe it was a tractor, from a farmer. And the police found out, am I right so far? Am I getting close? I'm way off. The radio, not the tractor. Okay. So the police tracked him down and, and, and brought him to the, to the farmer. And the farmer says, I'm going to say this and watch you as you nod or shake your head. And the farmer, the farmer happened to be a born-again Christian. And so here's this man who is well past the age where he should be stealing radios. I mean, he was up into like late 20s or early 30s, was it? Something like that. He was... Yeah, he was like, you know, still living his teenage life and, and acting the fool. So the police bring him there and they say to the farmer, we found him. And the farmer, who was a born-again Christian, had been praying for an opportunity to witness to someone. He was a soft-spoken man. He was a retiring individual. He was not boisterous and loud. He was very calm. He was, you know, one of those, uh, you know, North Dakotan of quiet farmers. And, and the guy says, if you will stay here and let me talk with you, I'll drop the charges. And so they drop the charges. He dropped them. The police go away. And he sits down with John Havman, and he led him to Christ. And, and, and what's amazing is uh, Lucy's father was telling me that that was the reason why their family is all serving the Lord today and gotten saved and are in church, all because of that one farmer. And they went back to his farm several years ago. The family went. Everybody went back. Uh, Tim, the oldest, John's oldest son. And, and he, they came back and they said, we just want to thank you for, for reaching my dad. Thank you for saving uh, for, for doing your, your part in getting the gospel to this man. It's because of you that we're all in church and so forth. And this man wasn't even really living for God. He wasn't doing much of anything. He had never grown past that point. And he had never led another soul to Christ. That was the one opportunity. It's an amazing story. And I say that to encourage you. You don't know what God could do in your life. And you might think, well, I've got to be this amazing soul winner. I'll never, don't, listen, just do what God tells you to do. Pray and take the step that he offers you. But the point of, of the story telling you that is because here's a man who stands ready and stands legally allowed to charge this man. Now, I don't know what the fine would have been, but he had it within his power to charge him, and he decided not to. Stealing a radio is one thing. Sinning against a holy God the way that we have is another and God says, I will not impute this to your... Why? Why? Not because we were innocent. No, because he is good. And because he is forgiving. He is right. Does, God, does God forgive? Yes, he does. Inexplicably so. 
Why does he forgive? That's the big question. We don't know. But I can confidently tell you tonight, based on his word, he does indeed forgive. Notice in verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David's describing what it was like as he was hiding from his sin. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He said, every good thing I had dried up within me. All of the the happiness that I enjoyed withered away. And I felt God's hand on me. If you're in that position tonight and you feel the heaviness of God's judgment in your life, you feel that, that God is cornering you, be thankful to God. Be thankful that there's a a meter on your dashboard that shows what it feels like to be distant from God. That is the mercy and grace of God in your life. When you can sin without any kind of a conscience and it doesn't bother you, you're in a dangerous, dangerous place. Your, your, Your engine's running hot and there's no thermometer thermostat on it. You don't know what's going to happen. Thank God for the conscience that we have, and thank God for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Here, David was doing his thing, but it was getting harder and harder to do. And it just didn't feel as fun as it used to. You can thank God for it. And by the way, parents, people in a position of authority, do not take your hand off of someone who is doing wrong. The hand of judgment of being stable and forthright, withstanding the rebellion, keep the pressure on. I'm not talking about screaming. I'm not talking about throwing things around. I'm talking about mentally keep the pressure on. Why? It is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. It is something important for those in leadership to remember. It's not nice to take pressure off of people who are doing wrong. It is kind to bring them to a place of misery, not intentionally trying to ruin their lives, but just simply not changing your mind. The whole world wants us to change our mind and to squirm and to feel like it's not really that bad. Why do you keep acting like that? Don't take the pressure off. It's because God didn't take the pressure off of you that you got saved. It's a blessing. Then he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto whom? Unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. There's no, no one in between here. There's no intermediary. He doesn't go to the high priest. He doesn't, like, like Saul, go to a witch and try to get in touch with a departed saint. By the way, that's where that concept comes from. Praying to a departed saint. That was done in the Old Testament through uh, through a witch. Scary, weird stuff. Isn't it amazing how religion picks up on these things? uh, But that's not what David did. What did he do? He didn't light any candles and he didn't do any penance. He sinned against God and so he went to God. Go to God. If you have sinned, go, you've sinned against God. That's, by the way, why the prodigal son could receive reconciliation. Because he said, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. You see, your issue of sin in your life is not just that you got caught. If you are not embarrassed before God, 
then you're still in your sin. You're just looking for a way to hack it and to get around it and manipulate people to not find out. You have to understand, number one, that your sin is against God. Don't squirm from that. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. Why? Because God is the only one that can give you a life of blessing after iniquity. God's the only one that can give you joy in your heart after you've committed that great sin. God can give it to you, but you have to go to him. He said, I went to you, Lord. I confessed my transgressions unto the Lord. And verse 5, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Not just thou forgavest my sin. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. He forgives the inward corruption that produced such a sin. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something like involuntary manslaughter. This was something that he wanted to do. And thou forgavest the iniquity, the extent of my sin. What produced that sin? Thou forgavest. Forgiveness for the deed and forgiveness for the doer of the deed. That's who we're talking about. You see, God is a personal God, and the closer we get to him, the more we understand how much he really knows about us. And when we open our hearts to that, draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. If you're trying to get closer to the Bible, you're doing it wrong. What we're trying to do is get closer to God, who gave us his word. It's not just know more about the Bible. Intellectual knowledge is good. You've got to have an understanding. But you've got to remember, we're dealing with a real God. And we get to know him by being honest and transparent with him personally. Not just with our parents' God or our church's God. With my God. Go to him personally and talk to him. You say, I'm not getting anything out of the Bible. Maybe you're going to the Bible when you need to be going to God through the Bible. God, speak to my heart. And I don't, I'm not trying to make a false distinction here. What I'm saying is we're not just seeking words on a page. We are seeking God through these words on a page. And he reveals himself to us. He is a real God and he wants to speak with you. God can forgive. And then watch what he says in verse 6. For this, for what? For the, for the forgiveness of iniquity. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. For this, everyone that is godly. The way to forgiveness, notice, is open to everyone. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone. But, 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 but notice, he says, everyone that is, is there some kind of misunderstanding here? Isn't this the adulterer we're talking about? Isn't this the one who provoked his neighbor to get drunk and then killed him without the courage to do it personally, he did it through a letter. He said, for this shall everyone that is godly pray. David is talking here as if he is a godly person. How could the Holy Spirit talk here about him offering the prayer of a godly, of a, a godly person? Here's why. He has been forgiven. He has been cleansed. When he's praying to God, he's not praying, God, I know you hate me. God, I know I'm not like, we're not on the best of terms here. When God's forgiven you, God has, he sees you as a holy, righteous person who is godly. 
You know, a lot of times we come before God and we spend half of our prayer time apologizing for how horrible we are and saying, God, I'm so I'm sorry. But if we're not careful, we forget we forget that if God has forgiven us and we've accepted that he sees us as a righteous son of God. You does God accept you? Yes, he accepts you. How? Not because of your good deeds. Our religion always creeps in, doesn't it? He accepts us because we have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can glory in Christ when you come before God. Lord, I shouldn't even be here, but my Savior is so wonderful, He can bring a person like me into your presence, holy and righteous. I can pray as a godly person. Now, in my flesh, there is nothing that pleases God. I know that. My flesh is in my flesh. Paul, Paul told us there's nothing good. But, but, I'm not just flesh. So much of the Christian life is God trying to pull us out of this idea that I'm just, just this old wicked. And, and, and yeah, that flesh is just wicked and always will be. But I have a new nature in Christ. And I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did he get a bad deal? No, he did not. He got what he wanted. He got me because he went after me. Not because I'm worth anything, but I tell you, be careful telling God that he is putting value on something that is valueless. If God values you, why do you devalue yourself? Don't stand in front of God and say, I'm just a worthless, hopeless. As if he got, he got somehow the wool pulled over his eyes when he, when he purchased your salvation. He knew exactly what he was getting. And you and I can stand before God and say, I don't believe it. I don't know. But personally in my fly, I know it's, but you said that you would make me righteous and I claim Christ's righteousness as my own. Can I walk out the door as a happy child of God? Yes, I can. Why? Not because I've lived a pure and clean life, but because all this iniquity that I have done has been forgiven on the cross. I live at the foot of the cross. I was talking with Laura Lawson this morning, talking about her mom used to say that. She said, I live at the foot of the cross. That's where we need to be. We need to live there. Why? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. I can live in this world today as a blessed, happy child of God, with no guilt of sin because of Jesus Christ. And you can too, my friend. Don't let the devil lie to you. He said, this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. In a time when thou mayest be found. Be careful there, because if there's a time when God may be found, then it stands to reason there will be a time when he may not be found. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. God is love. There is a time when that love is no longer available. When is that? At the time of death. For the redemption of their souls is precious, and it ceaseth forever. That tells us in Psalm 49, 8. Verses 6 and 7, notice he says, Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. 
Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. That word selah is whatever it means. It always shows up in a context of the tribulation period and the second advent. We looked at this on Wednesday night of Israel in Revelation chapter 12 going into the wilderness and hiding from the great dragon. And that's uh, referenced here in this, where the dragon sends a great flood out of his mouth. It's referenced in verse number 6, in the floods of great waters. But he said, thou art my hiding place. Thou art my hiding place. You can hide in God. In the Lord. Hide. David's aware, by the way, from a practical standpoint, that his sin will result in a flood of trouble. You see, here's something we forget. When we, when we ask God for forgiveness, we sometimes want, to, we want God to reset the game as if we never did it. As far as God's concerned, that is true. He said, I can completely clean your record. But because you are a human living in time and space, you will have to deal with the consequences of your actions. And it, it, that is the time when you run to God. The flood of iniquity, the flood of trouble, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from what David did. He's going to have to swim through these waters, and it's his fault that he's drowning in this. But he said this, thou art my hiding place. Yeah, I'm going to have to reap what I've, been, what I've sown in the past, but God is going to preserve me through these difficulties. And guess what? They shall compass me about with, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. God is all around you, keeping you in the troubles, in the floods. And if you spend your time saying, I wish I, I wish I'd never done it. I wouldn't have to deal with this. I wish I hadn't had that. I, I, I should never have. I can't believe I, idiot. I was so stupid. I can't. Okay, listen. In the flesh, that may be true. But it doesn't change anything in the past. Number one. And number two, it robs you of the peace and joy you can have today in the Lord. Recognize that he is your refuge in the time of trouble. He's a very present help, even in times of trouble that you and I have caused. He's a present help in trouble. If you've asked him to forgive you, if you've asked him to cleanse your heart of that iniquity, then you can rest assured that God has forgiven you. And when you, when you get close to him, he's not going to be reminding you of that. He's going to say, no, 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 no. It's true, it's true, but we're not out there in that flood. I've got you. I'm going to keep you. He says in verse number eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Paul, David is saying here, the Lord has forgiven me, and the Lord is going to preserve me. And the Lord, here's what's amazing. Even more so, the Lord is going to lead me. Isn't that amazing? You, you see, God is not just putting up with you. God is not just saying, okay, fine, fine. All right, just, uh, okay, all right, just, 
Fine. That is not God's attitude towards you at all. You know what God is saying? Okay, now we can get back to why I created you. I've forgiven you because you've repented. I've welcomed you in. I will hide you. And now I want you to do, hey, look, 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 look. Look at me. I'm going to guide you with mine eye. I'm, if you'll keep your eyes on me, you'll be able to tell exactly what I want you to do. You see, God is not just saying, okay, you're sanitized, but you're like, you know, the pig farmers, they say they have the little shower before they ever come in the house. And, and uh, they say, if we're going to be married and we're going to have a pig farm, you're going to take a shower before you come in the house. Right? <clears throat> because it's just nasty, right? You can't, you can't even pretend to bring that in the house. But you stay out there. You see, listen, the Lord is not just looking to keep you outside of the house because you're nasty. He wants to clean you up and bring you in so that you can be a part of what he wants to do. And it's not just, okay, well, you know, you're just kind of, you know, a second-class second citizen now. No, no, no. I've got a plan for you. And I know people talk about secondary plans and plan B of what God wants to do and the permissive will of God and all of that. All, all I'm saying is, what good does it do for you to think and talk about what God could have done with your life? I don't know what that even does. And I don't know why some of us may think, because I haven't done what so-and-so is, I'm still on track A. Like, I'm still on number one plan. The perfect will of God. All the rest of other people who, who have done things that I've never done, they're on plan B, on plan E, some of them. You know, they're way down the line, but God still loves them. I don't understand what that even means. How can you go back in the past and fix it anyhow? You're telling me that you can't serve God now? You can't move forward? Are there adjustments that are made? Of course there are. Of course there are going to be. Just like you took this job, you can't take that job. You bought this house, you can't live in that house. It doesn't matter what your dream child was, you got the child that you got. Right? And I'm thankful for him. Because God knows our heart and he knows what we need better than we do. But this idea that somehow God is, no, he's not done leading you. You're not sitting out in the anteroom waiting for, you know, God to feed all of his important kids. And then you're, no, God wants to guide you right now where you are. Are there consequences of sin? Of course there are. Are there opportunities that have been missed? Of course there are. But, but once you've accepted where you are, not where you would have been, where you are, then look at God in the eye and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And let God guide you with his eye. And he will do it. Sure, you wasted a lot of days. You ruined a lot of your life. But notice, you can have songs of victory and deliverance after that. Verse number seven, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord... Mercy shall compass him about. Surrounded by the mercies of the Lord. Surrounded. The devil can't get you. No one can attack you. You're surrounded by the mercy of God. And we've all known sorrow because of a deed that we've done. But you can also experience something else. Fruit that grows out of trusting God. You can choose. Notice, the shall, 
the shall. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord. So you have two options, sorrows to the wicked or mercy to the trusting. Which one are you going to choose? I want mercy. And I want that mercy that only God can give. Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Who would have ever thought that David could ever know that happiness and joy again? David was not just somber and serious with a hint of joy. David was shouting for joy. I don't know when this happened. And I know this, there were a lot of people that resented it when he did. Joab, for one. The family of Uriah, for one. How about Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba? I know he resented any joy that David had. And he was all too ready to bring him down. Why? There were a lot of people who would argue that David did not deserve another day of happiness because of what he did. And how could you blame them? He doesn't deserve it. But grace is more powerful. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Listen, is it possible that the king could experience rejoicing in the same way that a righteous man would rejoice it? Absolutely. Religion would say no. Morality would say no. Ethics would say no. Our culture would say no. Church people might say no. But God can forgive. And he does forgive. And his forgiveness can lift a heart out of despair into compassion and light and joy. I want you to take your Bibles to Titus chapter 3 in closing tonight. Titus chapter 3. And verse 3. There, be, there, there probably will be people, depending on what you've done, that can never forgive you because of the things that you, the ways in which you've wronged them. And guess what? Maybe they, maybe they shouldn't. There are going to be some people who will resent the fact that you are blessed after the failures that they know about. And that is understandable. Listen, stop, stop trying to get everybody to act like God acts. They can't. They are who they are. But notice, verse number 3, Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but after that, that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. <laughs> Where to come from? It appeared. It appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified, justified by His grace, not our works, His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He loves you so much, He put you in the will. Why? 
It's his grace. His mercy. His compassion toward you. He justified you because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You know what? That does not change in the minds of other people what you have done, what you should have done. The mistakes that you've made, the faults, the direct on-purpose sins that you've committed. But I can tell you, in the sight of God, you can be forgiven. And you can lift your head up and you can walk forward, staying under the sunbeam constantly of the mercy and grace of God. Why? That's the only way you're going to have a blessed life. That's the only way you're going to be able to rejoice. And may I say, there's coming a day, some day, when the Spirit of God is going to touch your heart in such a way All of the memories of what God has done for you and how good your God is and the refresh, the restart that he's given you, the grace that he shed on you abundantly. And all of a sudden, it's going to fill up to the point where you're going to shout for joy and say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for buying me back from the pit of hell. Thank you for giving me a new start, a fresh start. Christian, it's available to you today. Today it's available. What should you do? Well, before Psalm 32, you've got to go back to Psalm 51. And you need to acknowledge your transgression before God and confess your iniquity and feel the burn, the heat, the pressure of iniquity on your heart and realize that you've sinned against God. And if you truly understand how holy He is and how unrighteous you are, then the grace that He gives will appear amazing. You're not trying to Just get back to where everybody thinks you're okay. You're finished thinking about what everybody else thinks about you. You're focused on God. And what you'll find is a loving and a merciful father who says, come back. Come back. I'll not only forgive you and cleanse you, I will protect you and I will guide you in your life. That's what he's been trying to do all along. The prodigal son, when he came home, understood more about the mercy and love of the father than the elder son who never left. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because I like to think that the ones who stayed on the farm and did what was right, the ones who always do right, are the ones that God likes more. But you find at the end of the story, the elder son, who never transgressed I at any time by commandment, he claimed... And the father did not disrespect that. At the end of it, the guy who wasted his substance in the far country with riotous living and, 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 and consumed his living with harlots, according to his older brother, the guy who went out and disgraced his father, came back and is rejoicing in the presence of his father and the others, while the one who never did wrong, supposedly, was mad at the father. At the end, you have the one who was always doing right, who didn't even want to be around the father or the prodigal son. So I don't understand God. How can he do that? He's so much different than us. But that's the God that loves you. And that's the God that's calling you home. You've got to repent. You've got to turn around and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight. And he is going to interrupt you mid-sentence. And he's going to say, bring hither the best robe. And put shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. And bring that fatted calf we've been preparing. We've been preparing for the day that you came home. God's waiting. 
and you can be forgiven and live in rejoicing. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.